Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website, located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community, because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm joined by the lovely Eileen, who is an endometriosis and hypothyroidism survivor, as well as a rape survivor. Um, so we're going to talk about all of this because it's all very interconnected for her, and she's yes. got an incredible story. So Eileen, can you yes. start by telling us when you first started having um, symptoms, uh, especially with regard to endometriosis? Yeah, so um, endometriosis is an interesting diagnosis or disease because – um, I was never officially given the diagnosis of endometriosis. Great. Right, right. So great. So, you know, talk about me being like, I'm not really sick. I can still work through all this. Um, but I, I got my period officially like when I was about 10, which nowadays actually it's interesting is not that big of a deal. But, you know, when I was, it was like, the early nineties, that was a bigger, that was a much earlier time to, for a, a young girl to start bleeding. Um, I started like spotting between the ages of eight and 10. So my, my mom, who's a wonderful person and really open to a lot of the stuff was like, Oh, you know, this is a little early. So, um, that was like my first sign that like, Oh, I don't have a normal reproductive system. Um, but so then I, I had really bad periods all through high school and I had a wonderful doctor. So I, I was diagnosed, sorry, let's take a step back. I was diagnosed with hypothyroid when I was 14. Um, pretty pretty young, pretty young. I was sleeping like 18 hours a day. So it was was pretty clear. Yeah. It was pretty clear. Like this is what's happening. Um, if I was at home, I was asleep. Like there was, I would wake up to go to school and then yeah, so that happened for just about a week or so. And my mom was like, well, we're going to fix this. And so I had a... They didn't think at any point that it was like Epstein-Barr, like mono or anything? No. I think they tested me for that. They must have. because They must have. But they tested me for thyroid right away as well. And I came in with a level, so... And I imagine it's also because you have like a family predisposition. predisposition. My Well, my dad has it, but he didn't get diagnosed with it until after I did, so... Wow. Yeah, but I had a really cool doctor. She was kind of a, I was living in Santa Cruz, my lesbian mother, and she was kind of a hippie alternative doctor. She never, she doesn't have like an alternative medicine. I don't know. She just practiced medicine alternatively, um, but she was your uh, my normal doctor. So she was great. One of the early integrative medicine practitioners. Probably, yes. And my mom like still goes to see her because she, you know, still lives there and really, yeah. So there, she's she was awesome. So um, I had really heavy periods all through high school, vomiting, passing out. And no one said, why don't you go on birth control? So yes. So eventually someone says time to go on birth control. So I went on birth control this time when I was like, I would say 15 or 16. And for people who are listening, this is something that happens very frequently, particularly with teenage girls, right? That, you know, 
if you have a really painful period or something really extreme, generally birth control is prescribed to be the solution to the problem because it regulates your hormones. Right. And the, and I was one of the people that they uh, tried doing the, um, the, I was on the pill mm-hmm. and they tried doing the pill where I would take it for three months straight and then I would take the placebo pill. So I wouldn't have my period for three months. Oh, interesting. And it just, long story short, that messed with my hormones so much that we didn't, I went on birth control when I was like 16, but then it was on it for about a year. And then I got um, really terrible, what ended up being migraine auras. And, but what happened was is like half of my face would go numb. So I thought I was having a stroke. Oh my um, God. Yeah. But then the numbness would travel and like my right arm would go numb. Then my left arm would go numb. Then my right foot. It was really scary. So. Bell's palsy. It's like. Right. Like exactly. But it would, it would travel. So like. If it was, if the numbness was in my arm, I could smile properly. If the numbness was in my leg, I could use my hand properly. So it was weird. So anyways, that was like one episode and I got taken to the ER because people thought I was having a stroke. And then my really great doctor, the one I had before, did a lot of research and she realized that um, with the thyroid medication I was on, there may be this complication with birth control and it could lead to me having a stroke. So she took me off the birth control right away, oh. which I was very pro. I think I was in college at that point. Okay. Um, so then I went off birth control and then the, here I am with just extreme heavy periods and pain I imagine. and pain and intense pain. Like, yeah, the kind of pain where I, it was just, I, I learned at a young age to be mentally stronger than the pain I knew that I was going to, it was going to be over eventually. Right. And so I do think that it's a good thing actually that I got so mentally strong um, because it did help me. But at the same time, it also messed with my head because I was just having my period and every other woman in the world has their period. Right. And like every other woman in the world goes to work with it. and can continue to, you know, work out with their period and do things like that. So I just kind of powered through. Um, And then, so then right after college, I was, what, 21. And I just had these shitty periods for a long time. Um, And then I, I went to my really great doctor, same doctor in Santa Cruz. And she was like, you know, we should probably test you for something. Oh, I remember what it was. I had a cervical infection. And the reason I had a cervical, well, how I could tell I had a cervical infection was that this is totally like, we're just jumping right in right now. Um, Okay. Was that my like discharge was so acidic that it was literally like burning holes in my underwear. What? (laughs) I was like, I swear I was like, here I am like 21. Like I'm relatively healthy. Whatever. And I was like, God, this is, there wasn't a hole in these underwear. (laughs) (laughs) Like I shouldn't laugh, but it's all. That's exactly how it was. Oh, totally. And like, that was bananas to me that that, I did, I eventually went in. This is also when, so like. Like kryptonite discharge. Yeah, like. (laughs) (laughs) It was through my jeans, which thank God. Oh my God. It was never, but I was just like, geez. It wasn't like, I don't, I don't even know if it was like throughout one whole day or maybe two, I don't know, like they'd get a little thin. And the next time I'd, if you ever have holes burning in your underwear, go see your doctor, please. Yeah. Okay. It's probably just a cervical infection. You'll be fine. Yeah. So I go to my doctor. This was also the time that I started realizing, oh, I can make my own. I'm old enough to make my own doctor's appointments. Oh. So that was like a turning point for me. So I go and make a doctor's appointment. And my doctor said, okay, yeah, you have, you, you de- your cervix is definitely infected, which is not abnormal. That can happen with stress happens to my body a lot with stress. Um, people's just bodies deal with stress very, very differently. Mine infects my cervix. So right. I, she said, and we, you also have a very, very small cyst. It was a fluid filled cyst. And, um, she said, I, I'm going to remove it. It's, you know, it's, a, it's an outpatient. on your cervix? It was on my cervix, yeah. Okay. That it's an outpatient procedure. This is, it's not going to be a big deal. I was like, okay. I drove myself there, right? This was like one of, it's funny because when I think about it, I'm like, 
oh, I, I, I should have brought my mom. You know what I mean? It was one of those things where like, I should have brought someone with me, but I had this newfound independence, like to my disease almost where I was like, I have insurance and I can make my own doctor's appointments. And I was like, come hell or high water. I'm okay. Yeah. Take whatever it is you need out. And I, as looking back on my story, I realized over and over and over again that like, I was told so many times by society that like, I should just be able to live with my period. My period should not slow me down. I should just shove a tampon up there and go ride bikes because that's what everybody does in the commercials. And and so, you know, here I am, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Go ahead and remove it. And, um, well, you know, there's also, I, cause I wrote an article about this ages ago for health.com and there's actually certain parts of Asia, I think it's in Japan, um, and I'll post the link to the article uh, with this episode, but there are businesses that are starting to actually create programs for women so that they can take paid time off during their periods. Fuck. We need to move there. We need to move there. It's such, I know, it's such a huge step in the right direction and an understanding that like what our bodies are going through is so different and our pain tolerance is so much higher because of it and our bullshit tolerance is also higher because of it. Oh, totally, totally. But also like I say that as someone who's had relatively normal periods. Right. I don't even, and mine have been painful, so I don't even know the next level Right. with endometriosis is like. So please continue to tell us the painful story. So the doctor removes this little cyst. It's on the end of my cervix. And so she, she goes, you know, she just, just goes up. She doesn't need to go, you know, make a cut. Um, and she ends up throwing a stitch in there because it was bleeding a little bit. Totally fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Totally fine. I go home. I didn't even tell, I was living at home. This was the year between college and grad school. I didn't even tell my mom about it. And they may not have even been around. Like they may, you know, they may have been out of town for a few days or whatever. So I was like, all right, I'm cool. And I was dating this guy at the time. And the doctor told me, you may not have sex for two weeks. You may not have sex. I was like, okay, no problem. And I was a virgin at the time. And um, so I go and I, I saw the guy and I told him, hey, so I'm not, this is what happened to me and I'm not allowed to have sex. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay. But he, he ended up raping me that, that day. Oh my God. So it was, again, one of those situations where like, I didn't really think I was sick, but then here I am like almost physically unable to stand because he tore open, it tore open the stitch. And so I go back to my doctor the next day and don't worry, I broke up with the guy immediately. Clearly. Good. good. Um, yeah, but I go to my doctor, like almost the next day, whenever she can see me. And I remember thinking to myself, I ha- I'm going to have to tell her what happened, oh. but there's so much embarrassment, even between me at that. I, it was, I was 21, which is pretty young still. Now it'd have been like that motherfucker raped me and we're going to, you know, we're going <laughs> to get him, you know, in trouble. But I was so embarrassed that when I went to the doctor, she was like, wait, you like what happened here? And I told her, I didn't listen to your advice and I had sex. Tell her that you were raped. Correct. So then as I'm moving through, so then I went to grad school and I had an episode where I fainted like three times in a row, like in a week. Mm. And so I ended up in the, in the hospital for a couple days. And I was thinking, this is it. Like they're going to find a brain tumor, you know, like why am I just randomly just passing out? What had happened was my cervix had gotten infected again and that same cyst had grown back on that same spot. Oh, wow. And so I moved, I'm trying to think about where I was location wise. Cause I can remember all the doctor's offices very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow the numbers of how old I was to just totally escape me. So I moved back um, to the Bay area and I was teaching for my very first year. I'm a sixth grade middle school teacher. And all of a sudden my periods get really bad, like super intense. I'm like, I can't like when the cramps hit me, I've never had a baby, but my doctors have described it as like, you're going to be fine when you have a kid. Like this is how intense that you're cramping is. Like I would, I would actually double over at the knees 
the very first time, like I would have any kind of incident. And so a contraction. A contraction. Thank yeah. you. Yes, exactly. exactly. Contraction. Yep. Yep. This lined up with the fainting. No, this is a little bit later. So, but you got tested after the fainting. You had like an, an MRI or something. Yes. Oh God. I had an MRI. I had a bunch of tests done and they couldn't, I'm sorry. Thank you for bringing me back. They couldn't find anything wrong with me. Okay. The only thing they could find wrong with me was this cervical infection and this one little cyst. Right. That was in the exact same spot as it was before because it never healed properly the first time. And, and also just like I'm having this realization and this is sort of taking us back a step too. And we'll get okay. back into this um, thing with your periods getting heavier and more painful all of a sudden. But with your reaction to the rape as well, it's really interesting to me because you are, I mean, as women, we're taught yes. to sublimate everything to do with our reproductive system. Oh yeah. In the teenagers anyway, but totally. you are already doing that like on another level in terms of your pain and just getting on with things. Right. Right. To it where it's also a completely normal reaction um, in the sense that like, from what I understand, a lot of people who've been through those experiences are too embarrassed to right. cross charges or tell people or whatever. Or like that I stopped the incident from ha- like I, it definitely happened, but you know, he didn't get all the way finished. And so once again, I was like, I, that's not, I don't even, I don't like that word. That's not what happened to me. Like there are people who that happens to at like gunpoint and knife point, And that's not my story. Mm-hmm. So once again, my brain is like, you, you can't even say that that's the case. Right? You have to use a different word. You have, you just don't speak of it at all. It took me a, a little bit to go back to the doctor, even though had I known what I know now, I would have gone right away, but I didn't because, because of that exact reason, like there was a lot of levels of sec- like secrecy that I felt I needed to keep. That's- the other thing about that is that I'm also a teacher. And so we are given a bathroom break every two and a half hours and you get 10 minutes and you have to eat and use the bathroom at that time Oh my gosh! and talk to children. So there's like this whole other level of I don't even want to say mistreatment. Right. But it's like, I, once again, I, I couldn't really be exceptionally truthful at my workplace about what was going on. Right. So yeah. So it's my first year teaching and my periods get really heavy and I know that like, okay, I'm going to have to go in. I'm going to have to figure this out. Mm -hmm. So I went in and I talked to my doctor and my doctor looked at my cervix and she said there's this really weird scar tissue spot on your cervix and I was like oh I could tell you what that was from and I finally trusted this doctor and I was I don't know I feel like I was old enough and I also was so debilitated by my period every month that I I needed some kind of answer and when you say that your periods were heavy like give us a a, a relative comparison of like, like I had emergency pants and underwear in my car and my classroom, sometimes in my purse, because I would like bleed to like, I could feel blood at my ankle. Like it was like, it was like I was bleeding out just all of a sudden, but I wasn't, it was just a period, but that would happen. Like I would stand up and even with using like two tampons at once, which is very uncomfortable and a pad, I would bleed through all of that. Like, wow. So And as we start keep talking about this, it's so interesting that you bring that up. Like there were so many levels of me needing to keep private about this because I was also a first year teacher, like fighting to keep tenure at this really good school. And I would be teaching 36 graders and I would stand up and be like, Oh shit. Like there's blood on my chair. Oh my God. Like I have to, so I, what I basically did was I got really good at acting to be honest with you and acting like I was well. which was, which is like, it can be a great thing, but it can also be a thing that makes you push back. Oh yeah. All of the focus on your actual health. hundred percent, hundred percent. So, so, okay. So the cyst that was growing on my cervix, the second time gets removed. The doctor says there's a lot of scar tissue here mm-hmm. and she's wondering if it's scar tissue that is from endometriosis. So endometriosis is a, where your uterine lining endometrial lining grows in other places besides where it's supposed to. And it causes fusing of the organs. What was that? It causes fusing because it can. Yes. Yes. It can cause fusing of the organs because it's like this, you know, tissue where literally your life 
could start, right? Like, so it's like this very fertile tissue that's right there. And, and it, um, yeah, so it can fuse organs together. So mine was only happening at the end of my cervix, which honestly, I've heard so many stories. I'm very lucky that that's the case. Um, so, but to, to get a diagnosis of endometriosis, what my doctor told me, and I actually think she may have been wrong, but you know, but you don't really tell doctors they're wrong when you're that young. I don't know. So, you know, it's like, that's a cultural thing. I mean, it's totally a cultural thing. We're taught that what the doctor says is right. Is right. And that's it. And that's what did the doctor tell you to do? Okay, well then there we are. So she told me that, um, I, I, I kind of did my own research and I said, you know, so I, I did get periods really young and I did spot super early and there were all of these kind of like factors that, I went to her and I said, so do you think maybe this could be the case? And I don't know, because she was a great, she was a great OBGYN. She was the head of, um, of the department that I was going to in Kaiser. They just kind of moved me up because no one could really figure me out. So, um, so she just basically told me that, no, we have to do this very invasive surgery to get you a diagnosis of endometriosis. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't want that. So, Okay. That, then I don't have it, right? Like that was like so clearly in my mind. Okay, then once again, I'm not sick. I and I can't act sick. Yeah. So then, um, they removed the cyst that was growing on top of scar tissue, which was from the rape, and it just that cyst kept growing back, and it would grow quicker and with and it would grow bigger and it it um they would remove it every time, but every time we found it, um. But one time it popped. It's probably the most pain I've ever been in my life. Um, I was living by myself and I, I woke up and I was like, oh, okay, either I'm having a baby and I didn't know it for nine whole months, right? I'm like, what the hell? Or there's something seriously wrong. So once again, this is uh, me being too strong. Mm. I drove myself to the doctors and I like just kind of sat there thinking someone will help me. Like I didn't even have an appointment. I just drove myself there. I was like, but in my mind, I didn't need to go to the ER because I wasn't sick enough to go to the ER. Like that's in my mind, that wasn't, that's not where I should go. So they saw me right away. It was great. But um, they started cauterizing when they would scrape the cyst off instead of putting a stitch in, which I'm not sure if that was like just a me thing or if the technology and the understanding got better because after that as I talked to more people you know people in my family I started doing a little family research figuring out like you know is this just kind of an anomaly that this is happening to me or what's the deal and people uh, my aunts on my dad's side both all three of them had really heavy periods um but they they so you know this is a generation before me and they weren't ever called endometriosis. My aunt told me that she got diagnosed with something called, ready for this? Swampy uterus. Stop. <laughs> that's what she got. That's, how it that's not a diagnosis. She was like, come on. It was like the 70s, maybe? Were there crocodiles in it? What the <laughs> hell? Badge. They came out every month. And so she <laughs> was like, Oh my God. So anyways, that it went off on a small tangent about how inappropriate people talk about women's bodies, especially in the medical field. Yeah. And it was probably a male doctor. Yeah. I don't know that answer, but probably, right? I would not be surprised. Probably. So, wow. so I don't know if the technology got better or the understanding got better, but they started to cauterize the site mm. instead of put a stitch in because now this, this one specific spot on my uterus, sorry, on my cervix had been just like annihilated. Like, I mean, I probably had, I would say that specific cyst grow back or grow weird or grow differently in that. I should not the specific cyst that that one site had a cyst growing on it. I would say I got it removed like 25 times. Like this wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. So. And was the cauterizing not causing um, like boils or blisters when they were cauterizing it? this is so weird because I don't know because I never like saw it right and but I mean part of me like like my cervix got burnt you know (laughs) like like, I'm I'm like trying to think it through and going all right so maybe possibly the cauterizing actually only made it worse but then also like recent were making it worse right because of the scar tissue yes 
-hmm. more scar tissue. So that was kind of where the problem was. That's basically my whole story, although it ends kind of well. Um, which is good because I personally think like I'm, I'm, I'm cured. Like I haven't had, I'm going to knock on wood. Um, I haven't had that issue in probably four years. So how did they fix it? I got an IUD. And that was the answer. So for so many years, my doctor was like, you've like, we want to try something more aggressive. Mm. I also, so I felt kind of like, no, I've worked really hard on keeping this just to be a part of my life. And I want to have kids. So I was, yeah, I was young. And so every option that they presented to me, I would ask what the fertility rate was and how much my fertility rate was going to drop. Which is a smart question to ask whether you know you want to have kids or if no. you are undecided. Right. And you know, I wasn't in a serious relationship because I'm sorry, how could I be like, this made me very doubtful about my sexuality is not the right term, but my ability to be sexual, I was completely, that was not even on my mind. Like, and I'm in that part of my life where it probably should have been, I guess, or, you know, everybody else was in that time of their life. And I still had had this situation where I was like, no, I basically have closed that for a long time until it gets fixed. So what ended up happening? Psychological development. What was that? So it sort of stunted your psychological development because of what was happening physically. Totally. Because developmentally in my age, that should have been a thing that I was exploring or, you know, but I... Nope, I'm not doing that. But also, like, look, the one time I did it, look what it, where it got me, right? Well, and the shame associated with that, as well as what's associated with the shame that, like, we we put upon ourselves as women, or that, that right. we were forced to put upon ourselves, which is then, you know, you add to that the shame of what if I start bleeding on this guy or whatever, you know? totally, or or you know, like, I can't really date someone because what am I going to tell them when I have my period? Like, what am I, I can't do that. Like I've come up with really great lies to tell my students when I have a cyst removed and I'm like barely able to sit down, you know, I will tell them, Oh, I'm really sore. I'm super sore. I just worked out really hard. That's all baloney. Like I just would, you know, lean against something and barely move for the day, which is not what good teachers do, but I I figured it out. Um, Anyways, you're also an award-winning and great teacher. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I actually think that that's my career. It sometimes made me, saved me and and was a detriment at the same time, because like I said before, like teachers are asked to perform absolutely amazing things on levels that people don't even understand, right? Like I've seen teachers, you know, discreetly vomit in their sink and then just go on for the day because they're pregnant and they have morning sickness. Like this is just how it goes because you have an audience of, you know, tiny humans that need you and, and want your attention. They don't care. Yo, you threw up. That sucks. You know, like, so there was this whole other, anyways, yeah, I do think my career made me much mentally stronger, but at the same time, it also offered a really great distraction, right? Like you can't think about your bleeding cervical cyst site when you are are teaching reading like you just can't like it doesn't even happen so you have to give your full attention to these kids oh yeah oh yeah totally so and it's like you were saying right before we started yeah um, for this interview you were saying that you felt feel a lot of the time like you have an angel and a devil yeah on your shoulder that like all of these experiences sort of have two sides to them Mm -hmm. so you've sort of lived in that space in between for For a long time Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I always thought like, look at me, like I'm such a badass. Like I'm so strong. I can do these things. Other people can't, but it's like, now that I know that it actually probably delayed my, my stubbornness or badassness delayed my treatment for such a long time that I could have had some of those years of I don't want to say fun, but like, you know, like some of those years back where I wasn't, this was not my life. But by the same token, I would also say hearing your story today, there's, it's not all your fault in that sense. Like no, no. <laughs> yeah. responsibility on the doctors who are treating you, who like 
didn't catch stuff right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's like as much as you like your doctor and love the doctor that you had because she was doing great things for you, there's also a huge thing you missed because you also mentioned that like you have endometriosis, but like at this point they hadn't even said to you, you have endometriosis. They never they even gave me the di- and I wanted the diagnosis, right? So I right. wouldn't go crazy. But you didn't want to have that invasive surgery. So you were like, well, I have endometrial symptoms, which like isn't even a diagnosis. And it's like, <laughs> why, is the, why is the medical system rigged such that we have to have an invasive surgery to give someone a diagnosis that is clear from every other marker? Right. You know, and, and, and we talk on this show a lot about how having a name for something right. gives you a level of freedom. Yes. In terms of seeking treatment, but also being able to like live your fucking life. Well, and it's a level of freedom, but it's also really, per- it was really permission. And I never gave myself that permission to tell myself I was sick. Like when you gave me the questions mm. for doing this interview, I was sitting with my husband and, and I said, you know, I can't even, I was, I totally flipped out. I was like, I can't even answer these. Like I, I was never sick. Yeah. So how I got into this kind of level of remission, I guess, is that I, you got the IUD that I got the IUD. So they started giving me measuring my hormone and progesterone levels on a regular basis. Mm. So I would get, um, tested when I was bleeding. I was like three times a month when I was bleeding, when I was ovulating. And then when I was not doing any of those things, right. There's the difference monitoring your hormones, but also your fertility. Right. And this is these, those different, the different phases of my period. Mm. And so what they ended up doing was kind of customizing these uh, estrogen and progesterone shots. Mm. And so that was an interesting thing that they did as well. Um, that was that, in addition to the IUD? No, this was before the IUD. Oh, okay. Got it. And so I actually think that made things a little bit better. Um, how did they administer the shots? Was it like in your bloodstream or was it in your cervix in your bloodstream? Well, they tried both. So they tried, they tried both my poor cervix every now and then I think about it. Poor little yeah, but you know, like I would also say like the whole IUD thing. Cause you and I talked about this like ages ago. Yeah. We'd first gotten an IUD, which yeah. I had taken out cause it just wasn't for me. Yeah. But, um, it's extremely painful to get an IUD put in. See, and I was like, they were like, okay, you want, you want one? Let's do it right now. Like you can handle it. It was hilarious. Cause I was well, like, cause you've got a higher pain tolerance, but also they give, yeah. you, they give you an anesthetic shot first. They didn't give you that. No, I was fine, but oh, it was, wow. see, here's my badassness coming out. Right. It's like, it, which is not necessarily a good thing. They were like, all right, yeah, you can handle this. Like I, I went in saying, so basically I want to have sex with my long-term boyfriend now. And so we have to come up with some fix, right? But yeah, but anyways, yes, it is painful to get put in. Um, it's painful for the first couple of weeks after. And then I know people like you who just were like, they couldn't. They, they just, it wasn't for them. You know what I mean? And for me, it wasn't a physical discomfort. It was actually that it just messed my hormones up too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But and no one deserves that shit. You know, <laughs> no one deserves that. No. And the no. thing is, like, I was aware enough to then be like, now I'd like it taken out. But I was one of those people that, like, when I had it put in at least, the doctor said to me, I don't know if they said this to you, but they were like, you might be really lightheaded, you know, like when you stand up, like, really tight. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was like, yeah, no problem. And I stood up and I was like, mm, but I'm okay, you know. But then I, like, left the doctor's office, like, 20 minutes later to, and I got a cab home. Yeah. I was like, they, they said, you know, you might want to get a cab, whatever. And waiting for the cab, I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. This is it. (laughs) I'm going to fall over, you know? And that was me. So like, you didn't even have the fucking anesthetic. I don't even know, girl. Like I was fine. But it was just one of those things where I I would tell myself like, you know, everything is a muscle and you have to, this is such the teacher, right? You have to practice these kinds of things. And like, it's, it's, it's going to be okay that you have to have this thing done to your cervix and you know, it was just that I would always, I would always have these like mental pep talks with myself. And so, yeah, I had a great mental pep talk with myself. They put the IUD in, I was good to go. But, um, but anyways, so they, I think the other thing that cured it was they, um, they did basically like a DNC, like a, a light DNC. So they, they it was dilating your curatage. It's the same, it's the same procedure you get if you're having an abortion but there's nothing to abort because there's no fetus but wow. they dilate and they clean everything out essentially like a vacuum 
Yeah, because mm-hmm. my my doctor thought that I may be growing cysts in other places, which is why my estrogen and progesterone could never never level out. Mm-hmm. They didn't find much when they did that, but um, it was really only that one spot that continued to cause me problems. But they realized that I was under my cervix basically was under and my, you know, everything's all connected down there, especially. So my cervix was under so much stress that I was regularly having just other like infections. Yeah. Like other infections, other incidents is the word I wanted to use. Like, you know, that's why one of the reasons that my body would be like, Oh, she stood up. Therefore we must bleed to her ankles, you know, procedure, the DNC procedure. Um, is it typical or was it kind of unusual? Um, it was pretty typical. And I kind of got to a point where I started requesting it because. Oh, so you had it more than once. You, no, I've only had one, but, um, but they, they had offered me that. I mean, here's the thing. Doctors had offered me okay, well, you know, if you really want to stop this, we're basically going to give you a full hysterectomy. And I was like, what the, who the hell are you? Mm-hmm. No, like I'm, I'm 24 and I want to have kids. Like my, I have a lot of life goals and that is a very strong one, you know? And I, 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 at an early age with no serious partner thought to myself, well, should I just adopt or should maybe I should have a kid right now. Maybe I should be a surrogate for someone else because apparently when you get pregnant, oftentimes the endometriosis can, will kind of calm down. Um, so I considered all of those things at a super young age or what I thought was a young age. I know that other women have gone through this in their teens and it's like, that's bananas to me. I don't know. This episode is sponsored by Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive because of my Hashimoto's and medications, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. The Wave was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions, but because the technology is new, it can be pricey. So for those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you also listen to Uninvisible, they're offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E-M-B-R labs.com, enter code INVISIBLE at checkout, and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. I got the the light DNC or whatever it was, um, and that was a pretty good fix as well. And so I was like relatively stable for about a year before I met Chris, Um and Chris is my current husband. My husband. Um, he's clearly my husband. He's also my current husband. Not that long. That part out just a little bit. That was a little faux pas. <laughs> it's a pretty good one. I think <laughs> he'll be fine with it. Um, so Chris is my husband. Um, and for now, <laughs> for now, always, so we're good. Yes, and always. But um, he was not my husband at the time, right? So I, I met Chris, and I was like, all right, well you know, I, I got to come up with a birth control method that's going to work. Mm. Um, once again, small tangent about how women are usually the ones responsible for that bit. I was just going to say, like, why do you have to figure that shit out? You know, right. and this is always the thing. Exactly. So, um, so I went back, I was kind of sneaky and I went back and I got an appointment with a different doctor. Cause I was like, all right, it's time to try the IUD. But the, the worry about the IUD, cause they had, mentioned IUD to me like a I don't know four for four or five years before this and the fear was that it was gonna screw with my hormone level so much that I could have my period for like six months straight and I literally thought to myself I might not sur- like I might not survive that because you know my body often responded with more and heavier and so that's how they kind of thought I was going to be respond that I was going to respond. And it just ended up that that's was not the case. That's so lucky. So I still get my period on my IUD. Um, IUD is an IUD with hormones, right? It's not, it has, it has progesterone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, What we learned was that my body produces less progesterone than needed and sometimes more estrogen. So 
yeah, so they gave me a progesterone IUD and, um, it, it's funny cause I wouldn't say it cured it. Although I think it did because I haven't had an issue or a cyst that needed to be removed for such a long time. So I feel like the fact that my body doesn't have to go through the trauma of having these absolute monst- monstrous periods once a month anymore, I still do get my period, but they're like, so <laughs> they're a cakewalk. I'll take it any day. Like every now and then I'll tell my husband, yeah, I'll be like, oh, I'm a little crampy. He's like, oh my God, are you okay? Do you need anything? I'm like, honey, you don't even know. Like, thank you. crampy is a good thing. (laughs) I was like, that's fine. I know. Thank you for your kind gesture, but I can stand up and I can walk around the house and I'm not going to, you know, bleed out on our white carpet. I'm great. Like life is, life is killer right now. I'm living on the edge with that white carpet, girlfriend. Hey, I moved in this house post IUD, so we're doing good. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, tell me, because like you talked a bit about how on several occasions you drove yourself to the doctor when like you probably needed someone to drive you home because you were a little debilitated or you yeah. know someone to lean on. And obviously you spoke to your mom about stuff early on. Yeah. Um, have you ever like in this journey to releasing yourself of pain? Um had an advocate or like someone who you leaned on when you needed help or was that you? Yeah. And no. So I honestly would say my advocate was myself. I met someone else with endometriosis kind of like towards the end of my like insane having cysts removed all the damn time stage. I met someone else with endometriosis and I was like, you're real. Like there was this whole like moment about me where I was like, if you're real, then I guess I'm real too. You know, like there was this whole thing. But you never thought to go on like forums on Facebook or, you know, like to find a community. Well, at the very beginning, right. At the very beginning, Facebook didn't really exist, you know? And, and so I did that and I told a couple of my friends like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm having these really intense period kind of things. Um, and I think they, people, you know, think it might be this thing. And I was like, I was maybe like a junior in college and people would send me these articles and they freaked me out. So this is, there's such in my mind, like if I were to hear someone else tell this story, I'd be like, oh my gosh, that poor girl. She just is so in this sur- stuck in the survival mode. She's not getting enough help. Right. Just like you said, like, like an advocate. So, um, no, I didn't really have an advocate. I had really good girlfriends that I would call and tell them, but to be honest, I also felt like the story got kind of old eventually to you. And I didn't want to make it kind of old to other people too. That you had to be your own strength. Yeah. Yeah. And my goal was to live my life not being sick. Hmm. So that's a fair goal. It's totally a fair goal. Right. But it was like more for me, it was well then, so how I took it was, I have to be mentally stronger. Mm. I have to be stronger than the pain. I have to be stronger than all this stuff. I can remember. It's so great when you have kids. Like childbirth is going to be a breeze. Yeah, I'm just going to sneeze or going to fall right out. That's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> I've had a doctor tell me that once. And then towards the end of all this shit, um, one of my friend, one of my really good friends was pregnant for the first time. Mm. And I remember thinking, yeah, I could, I could totally do that. I could totally do that. So yeah, I'm yeah. pumped. Were you talking about that? The other woman you met who had endometriosis, was it about oh, yeah. like having that community? Yeah. And that was really important to me. And we'd like text each other. I thought it was so cool. We'd like text each other and be like, Oh, I got my period today. And she's like, Oh my God, how, you know, how are you doing? And I'd be like, well, you know, it's only 8am and I've changed myself like five times already. <laughs> she would just be like, you know, remember to keep your electrolytes up and make sure you're eating your, your protein and you can do this. And there was just this cheerleader that was in my corner and I would do it for her. And I felt like super good doing it for her. But we also both kind of had these weird stories. She also never got an official diagnosis. So oh wow, interesting. yeah, that was cool to me too, that I was like, Oh my yeah. God, right. Like there's someone else just like me. Um, which is, I don't, yeah, I don't know why I didn't jump on forums and stuff like that. And once again, I think it's because I thought to myself, I'm not that sick. Yeah. And then how do you sort of, I mean, you talked a bit about, you know, that balance, right? Um, right. Especially at work, like balancing your symptoms with the task at hand and like what you need to get done. Yeah. And how other teachers have done that around you. Right. It, I mean, it, it sounds to me like, 
being a teacher is probably a really tough profession to be in when you have a condition like this or any kind of condition that, you know, forces you to have to sort of stop everything because of discomfort. Um, but like, how do you balance that? Like, do you still just have like a 10 minute break for lunch and to pee and change your 16 tampons and, you know, (laughs) well, luckily now me and my 16 tampons have separated because I don't need them, but that's amazing. It's it's amazing. But I do, I don't know. Like, honestly, I'll, I'll look around at other people too in my profession. I'm like, God, we're superheroes right now. Like, this is ridiculous. But people don't get it, which I totally understand. But well, I'm not a teacher, but I get yeah. it. Like, no, that's true. That's true. Thank you. Um, but I used to, so when it was particularly tough, I would, t- I would like, I had all these mantras and like, I really would, t- I really believed in them. Right. But it was really me brainwashing myself at some times to be like, I am stronger than this. I am totally unbreakable and I can do this today. And no matter what it was, that's what I would tell myself. Like I'd be standing in line, checking in at Kaiser and being like, I am stronger than this. I am totally unbreakable and I can do anything that I've asked to do today. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. How did you even come up with that? Was that just from within you? Yeah. That's pretty exceptional. I mean, it's really, obviously I talk to people from across the spectrum of invisible illness. Right. It's amazing how many people have figured that kind of shit out themselves. Like found that without having to go to a therapist or speak to 30 different people. You have to, because you know, it's like you either choose to be I I felt like I was choosing to be sick or choosing to be strong and by hell I'm going to be strong. Mm. I don't, there was also, I mean, every time I got a cyst removed, I would tell myself for a hot second, I'd be like, this isn't your fault. And I would blame it on the guy that raped me, which I think was appropriate because I do think it's all connected. And I do think that the trauma that was on my cervix was undealt with trauma. I went to therapy about the rape right after I went to therapy again, multiple years later after the cyst was found. So, you know, I was taking care of myself mentally, but there were times where I just wanted to like have a pep talk with my cervix and be like, honey, we're going to get through this. Like, tell me what you need and I'll figure it out for you because it was always that same spot that was having the cysts. And so like a ghost that keeps coming back to home. Yeah. Oh, it's totally a ghost. And I know it was, you know, this is why you should, you know, hell, just keep yourself away from all people. If they tell you not to have sex for two weeks, really do it. Like yeah. it was a terrible idea, right? This guy was my boyfriend. I thought he was like going to be fine. But that's also within the realms of the statistics, right? It's like the higher percentage of rapes that occur are, are people, you know, I, so I went to Kaiser Santa Clara, which is a teaching hospital and I was a rare case. And so people would bring young studying doctors in to see me. Um, and they would always ask. Okay. I was going to say, please tell me they ask permission. They always ask, but here I am a teacher. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Like you're, everyone's going to get a look. I'll open wider. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You're also such an open person that like, that yeah. doesn't surprise me either. That you're like, hey, yeah. let me like go ahead. Yeah, come talk to my cervix. Let's do this. Maybe you can cheer her up. Cause I can't. <laughs> I can't. So, um, I remember one time I lost my shit. I'm laying down, like we're, we're, we're getting intimate here. I'm laying down. There's literally, they're shooting local anesthetic into my cervix. Hurts like hell. Yeah. That shot, it's a big fucking needle. Cause your cervix is pretty high up there. So that needle is like a giant ass needle that goes all the way up. To see it. Like if I saw it, I knew I'd lose my mind. So yeah, there were, I'm trying to remember, there were like three baby doctors. I don't, you know, I don't know if they were interns. I don't, I don't know. I watched too much crazy anatomy. I don't want to overdose <laughs> where they were. Um, but they were there. Two were male and one was female. And my doctor at the time, the other cool thing about Kaiser was that I could get in whenever I needed to, because someone could always see me, which was awesome. It just isn't always necessarily your primary care or like your primary yeah. Yeah, it was just someone else. But my primary also was the head of the department. And so she was regularly delivering babies on just the floor right below me. So she could come up, take care of my sis real fast, and then go back to delivering. It was totally, anyways, kind of an ideal situation if you need one. Yeah. So, um, so okay, so here I am. I'm laying down. There's freaking butterflies on the ceiling because they always put something up there while you're in the stirrups to look at. 
really? They chose butterflies? Like, yeah, this room was the butterfly room. It's such a feminine cliche, you know? At like least, At least put, like, hot people or something, yeah. right? Like, put a Marvel superhero yeah. under. Like, yeah, come on. Um, just a Wonder little, Woman. A little porn would be great. Just a little. It <laughs> would really relax me. Yeah, exactly. Wow, your cervix is looking great. I know. Just keep going. Um, <laughs> be great. So, no. So, it was the friggin' butterfly room, which I'd been in before. And That's I'm like, awesome. okay. Right? I'm staring at the butterflies. I'm saying my mantra. Over and over again, I was telling you, you are unbreakable. You are unbreakable. You are completely unbreakable. You're stronger than this. You can get through anything that happens. You are unbreakable. And I, so it's three guys and three male doctors. One of them's performing the, the removal, two baby male doctors and a female internist. And then there was a nurse because there has to be a female in the room with you, which was, which is great. The nurse was awesome. And she, I, that one of the male baby doctors, I'm hearing the doctor say like, okay, so this is what happened. And look here, we can see the site of the sexual trauma. And one of the male doctors inhales super loud, looks at the other dude and says, it's like a war zone in there. No. Well, Lauren, that was my actual reaction. I I'm very How calm. dare they? Like you said, right? Like I'm very calm and open. Like, yeah, they, anybody can look. I said, you need to get out of this room right now. Good I am not okay with it. And the doctor was like, but wait, I said, no, 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 I'm in charge. They need to leave. Not him. Oh, I'm so proud of you right now. I was like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> the nurse, I bless the nurse. Like she was so awesome. She came right to my face and she said, that was the right thing to do. You're looking at me and me only, and we're going to get through this. Do you want me to find another doctor? I said, just get it done. Just get it done and get it done right now. She's like, okay, we're good. We got it done. The doctor, yeah. The doctor tried to talk to me and the nurse was like, no, you be quiet. You are, I was like, you are such a guys. I was like, yes, you're so on my team right now. But it's like, to me, that's also just so, it's like a basic human dignity and sensitivity thing. It's like, you are a male treating a female. You don't get to say stupid shit like well, that. And I hope that the, I, in my mind, cause I made up the story to make myself feel better mm-hmm. in my mind, the other female intern or whoever went outside and reamed him. Right. Cause it's like, it's also really, really poor bedside manner. I can hear you. I'm not a, I'm not on a movie screen. You're actually inside my own body right now. Like, I should be like out gallivanting around having wonderful sex. And instead I'm letting you look inside my cervix and stick needles and shit in there. And also you're going to talk about a war zone two seconds after the doctor has said the site of the sexual trauma, like go fuck yourself. You've got it all wrong, son. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that's interesting and is that my, my mom, who was my advocate when I was younger, for sure. Um, I had all this secrecy from my mom. It was really an interesting thing. Um, My mom, as many women, uh, unfortunately are also had a rape story in her young years. And so, and hers was literally at knife point. So I was like, in my mind, once again, this story, my story was not as bad as my mom's, but to protect my mom, I just kind of stopped talking to her about it. I just, and I just kind of like, she knew and she knew a lot of the little details, but I felt like it was my job. And once again, this was me being too, too brave, brave. Yeah. Or too strong or too stubborn or whatever it was, because I thought to myself, I lessened my experience on all of it and just told myself for my mom's sake, I'm not going to tell her about every detail. And she never asked me to do that. You know what I mean? But and she was also brave enough to share her story with you, which is absolutely from a parental perspective. Absolutely. I just, I think there were a lot of culminating factors to me feeling like I had to be as strong as I made myself. Um, and I don't know if I was going to give advice to someone. Yeah. That, my next question was, yeah. Cause you know, I love my li- my lists, like tips for someone who suspects they might have something going on. Right. I think you got to I would say you need to find a really good doctor that you trust to be able to tell everything to like, you need to be able to tell your doctor. So 
we almost, you know, had anal sex last night. And how is that? I stopped because this didn't really happen to me. I'm just coming up with a small scenario (laughs) about anal sex because this is where we are right now. No, but you need to be able to tell your doctor every single detail. Mm. Yeah. You know, we were, I was on top yesterday and it hurt and I don't know what to do about that. Or, you know, uh, he couldn't insert and eventually we gave up because it was like five or six times. Why, why was that happening? Because, you know, there have been scenarios where in my mind I've been like, what must be because my cervix is too sensitive right now. It must be because this. And so there's this whole, you have to find a doctor that is going to be totally on your side. Well, Um, you also need to find a good partner who's also patient. And that's a hundred percent. That is exactly right. And a good partner who's going to, for me, like one of the moments that I knew that Chris was my person was the first time we had sex because I got just like super, super like, like uh, stressed and you tightened up and I tightened up. But I also, I was saying, telling myself my fucking mantra that I would tell myself when I was like on the table, you know, like I'm not, that does, that should not have to apply to sex. No, but it totally always did because I was so worried about it. And he, as I'm telling myself this, right, in the heat of the moment, he was like, wait, do you want to stop? And I was like, oh, my God, like, you, you, you figured it, not like you figured it out, but like, but you're paying attention. I, I don't want to stop. He was paying so much attention. I said, I don't want to stop, but, <laughs> but I don't want to stop. But at the same time, you know, like, I told him, I said, this is, this is a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. And he was so great about that. You know what I mean? So he definitely has been my partner through all of this, but it's so interesting because he hasn't actually seen the majority of it. Yeah. But you've obviously shared it with him in a way that has made him understand it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In a way that's made him understand it in a way that he's like, you know, how many tampons do you this month? What color are we buying? You know, like he doesn't care, which no man should. It's a completely normal part of your body. But well, if you want to have sex with a woman, you should like, you need to deal with all of it. You know what I mean? Like, that's my feeling about it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that that is really my, like, hippie alternative acupuncturist, who's so cool. Um, she was really into that being a big piece of my health as well. She really wanted to get me to a place where I felt comfortable having sex. Oh, that's really wonderful. It was wonderful. Yeah, I don't know. So I, I met Chris and, and she was one of those people that was so in tune with my body that she already knew. Yeah, I think she was really an advocate for me. She was also very much on the page of like, no, we're not doing anything drastic because we you're going to have healthy babies. You're going to have healthy pregnancy. It was just nice when I met the acupuncturist that she was really willing to be on my team of like, Oh yeah, you want to have kids? Well, then that's what that's what we're working towards here. Because really listen to you as a whole person, and what and what I wanted, you know, like because it. I always told people that I would confide in about my illness that like it's such a tricky thing because it's not like my arm is hurt. If your arm is hurt, you can say, "Oh, I my arm is hurt," and right? people can see it. People can see it, and this is one of those, you know, it's something to do with all invisible illnesses. But it was like. I can't go up to just everybody and be like, so I can't, you know, finish up my coffee order right now because I'm about to bleed out on your floor. Like, which were things I would say, I would have to tell myself. Right. So I just got really good at pretending stuff, but, um, pushing through, I was pushing through. Yeah. But anyways, so I think that for people who, uh, are facing the same issue, I would say you really need the wraparound services. You need the mental health component. Mm. You need the acupuncture. And you also really need the Western medicine doctor, if that's what we're going to call them, um, that you really believe in um, and that you trust. And that believe and trust in you. Yeah. And and also, because I really did believe and trust in my, but it took me a lot of time to figure that out. But you stuck it out as you do. I stuck it out because that's the theme of this whole thing, right? (laughs) Yeah. Strong enough and I'm unbreakable. Yeah. And so I, I think you need all of those things, but I also think that you need a community like that. I do wish I had that community of people. Well, okay. So here's my other reason that I didn't go on Facebook forums or whatnot. And I'm not saying anything about anyone who's listening. Cause I don't know you, but I, I was very solution oriented at this time. And I thought it was just 
I, I, I was putting in too much mental strength for me to be able to live my daily life, to really even be empathetic towards, towards other people, towards other people. But it's like, that makes me sound like a raging bitch. Well, I'm looking at your face as you're saying that. And and like, you have this look of like, Oh, this is awful to say, but it's it's true. You expend so much energy and you were expending energy just to like stay standing. Yeah. You know, that like, you don't have a lot of time for other people's problems and that's okay. And that's where the question of worthiness and self-worth and esteem all comes into the equation as well. Totally. Totally. And so I think that it's, it's important. Finding your community is important, but for me, my community needed to be solutions based. Well, in a lot of those forums, I've, I was actually just listening to some audio for an episode that's going to be on before yours Mm -hmm. where one of my friends um, Katie Georgiou, who has MS, mm. she, said she never really spent much time on the forums. Well, she spent some time on them, but she has to limit it because it can get kind of symptom porn. Yes, exactly. That's such a good point. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and so I was like, oh, ain't nobody got time for this. I can't handle, you know, like I just, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So, but then at the same time, like way early on when I said, that people would send me these articles that say, you know, like, Oh, look at this article about endometriosis and a link with hypothyroidism. And I would, I would read it. And there was also this really, there was this need for me in that moment to tell myself that this was all real and that I was sick. And I was also in this like whole glazed over phase where I was just like, Nope, I am strong enough and I'm unbreakable. And this is what, you know, this is where I am. And well, you were in the period of time in which you were not facing it. Exactly. Like, you're yeah. just not ready to, to sort of go, okay, I have a thing, mm-hmm. you know, like it was before you were able to accept it. Totally. It. Totally. And I, yeah, I was, that was definitely happening. So it's a level of denial, but that's, I yeah. think part of it, it's that whole, what is it? The seven stages of grief, right? Mm-hmm. You know, denial is in there and it's in there for her. It's real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I actually think that those stages, they apply perfectly to the acceptance of any kind of diagnosis. Oh, totally. You know, I agree. You know that when you get a name for something, things will get easier, but you also know that your whole life will change and you're yeah. not sure how until totally. you're in it, you know? So oh, totally. And I think, you know, there's so many factors that go into that. Mm-hmm. And there were so many factors that went into that for me. But once again, going back to what would I tell the girl that is dealing with this crap? I would really make sure to have her know that like, you're okay. Like you're, you're, you you don't have to write a horse during your period to tell yourself that, you know, that you're womanly enough or that you're, you know, badass enough, stay in bed for two weeks, eat the cake. doesn't matter. You know? So I, once I kind of started realizing that like, that was those things I was allowed to feel, then I, I actually think I got better. Yeah. Yeah. And that was part of the mental shift for you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So so you've said, you know, in terms of tips for people, it's like, be gentle with yourself, be compassionate Mm -hmm. and get your team together and find community. Those are really the main and team is like medical team. And And I also, um, the woman that I found that was one of my friends who also was diagnosed with endometrial symptoms, um, was, she was also like a badass. um, she, she was a weightlifter. And so that was important to me too. Like that. So I I added in a whole piece of absolute daily exercise and that was crucial for me. No matter where I was in my cycle, I would stay in bed for too long I'd eat the cake and then I'd exercise. And that really (laughs) actually helped me. It was really movement that would, was the only thing that would cure. Well, I actually found that tequila kind of did too, but um, (laughs) a little different. Uh, you, can't drink, you can't drink tequila in the middle of a school day. So um, <laughs> well, I was, like, <laughs> yeah, I know, no, I can't do it. Um, so I would take my class out for like jogs. Like when I was like, Oh, I'm going to die here. I would actually force myself to move. So that would be my other tip is that you really just need to move your body on a daily basis. No matter how crappy you feel, even a walk is, is worth it. And it will I don't know if it's said that it'll lessen some of the pain or free up some of the mental space, but I, I think yeah. it's, I totally well, think they do say that about exercise and it's hard too. Cause like when you have your period and you're feeling crappy and like you feel bloated, like everything just feels sort of heavier. And the last thing you want to do is moving. 
you know, doctors will tell you, do some exercise, you'll feel miles better. And I'm always like, I don't want to, but the minute I do, you have to do it. And that's when you can tell yourself you're totally a badass too, because you did it, you know, like, so... I like wow. to use the word badass so much too, because it's like yeah, I think one, and it's like you, <laughs> in a way, this whole experience of of pain has made you your own right. superhero, right? You know, oh, oh, totally. And I am at the point where I can tell myself that, you know what I mean? Because before I would uh, humble that and be like, no, 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 you know, it's just it's normal. This is okay. Like it's just it's just a little thing. It's totally fine. Fuck no. I mean, I mean, we're talking about making these like different lifestyle changes. What do you do like when you're having any kind of pain flare up or just mm-hmm. a comfort activity or like a, a guilty pleasure? Do you have any like top three things that you love oh, to yeah. make you feel great? Chocolate and meat. Like <laughs> chocolate and meat at the same time? Well, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like I haven't had many pregnancies all the time. And sometimes what doctors would tell me. So I would be like, God, I just wish I had some steak that was slathered in like chocolate. Mole sauce. Molly sauce. It's yeah. just food enough, but it would work. Um, I wish, yeah, those are, those are my things. Yeah. Um, chocolate and meat and like good meat. So I would, I would like actual red meat, you know? So I would, uh, those were my, my two comfort things that I would always eat when I was having a really bad period. Um, the other thing I would do, cause I live in California is I would let myself stay in the shower or the bath as long as I wanted. Um, because I did heat was, kind of uh a way that I could cope like I would wear those heating pad things when I would work um it didn't really help but it just made me feel like more comfort and the other thing that I do is I really prioritize sleep I think that it's really important and if my body is telling me at the end of the day that I need to go and at least lie down by seven or eight I lie down by seven or eight and I I feel way better the next day. You know, it's not a cure-all, but I didn't realize that that was such an important part. And the other thing I would do was I would definitely, so extra, I would say chocolate and meat, sleep and exercise. And it was, and heat, heat all the time. I would always have heat on me. Um, there was like this great, I would like go to these craft fairs and I, you know, they'd make those like hot little like corn things. Yeah. And I'd be like, Hey, cute old lady that made this Can you make one that goes all the way around because I needed it on my back and on my stomach um and so anyways I found one that was great and I've had it for like 15 years and I freaking love it and yeah even though I don't like need it as much now I'm like I just want to heat this up and hold on to it so yeah well Eileen you've been such a great subject and so brave to share your story. Thank you. Thank you. I've been friends for a long time but I didn't even know the full extent of um a lot of your experiences. So being able to share them with me and with the larger audience is really brave of you. And I, I really hope it encourages other people to do the same with the Thank people you. they love and um, to really like seek help because like there is help for this stuff. And sometimes it is this process of trial and error, just like you went yep. through that. Yep. There's something on the other side of it, you know, yep. and just knowing that like that hope is there is the really one of the best things that we can give to absolutely absolutely yeah that's it folks thanks for listening as always please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.